Welcome to episode 169 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday 24th of September 2017, and I'm Carlton Reed of BikeBiz.com. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by The Spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter The Spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at thefredcast.com. I'm the host and producer of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. For show notes, links, and other information, simply go to our website at the-spokesman.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. And welcome to episode 169 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. And I'm laughing, actually, there in, in the show introduction because, well, there was an inside joke, which we won't go into unless we get into it in the show, which is very possible because it's an inside joke. Uh, about one of the topics that's uh, uh, coming up in the show later. So let's bang straight into it. And and there'll be two people who need no introduction. And one of them has been on the show before. So that's why he needs no introduction. And that's Richard, Richard Wittenberg. Hello, Carlton. How are you today? I'm doing good. See, you are now famous because we don't have to introduce you anymore. If you've been introduced once, we can't go into that long spiel again. Uh, spiel. There you <laughs> go. I... I... <laughs> Um, I, I would say infamous, not um, anything else. But. <laughs> and, and we've also nominated you as our expert in a number of areas for this show, including uh, visiting Interbike. Ah, uh, yes. The, the grudge and the, uh, the trudge <laughs> that was Interbike in Las Vegas, which is no more. Yeah, that's the last one. Yes, good point. Yep, uh, and as th- I saw Vegas in the rearview mirror as I was driving, I waved goodbye. with only a little bit of sorrow in my heart. With how many one. fingers? Yeah. <laughs> and the other person we heard there, and this definitely is a person who, who needs no introduction, because he's the guy who does the ads, for goodness sake. And that is David. David Burns. How are you doing, David? I'm great. And, and, and it's, Carlton, it's wonderful to have Richard back on the show, isn't it? Yes. Well, it's just, it feels like Park City. It's just, this is so much inside <laughs> baseball here. You know, we, we kind of chat in these, uh, well, in your hometown, David. Where it is snowing at the moment. Ah, okay. Is it really? Yeah, really. Yeah, is it, it started. Sticking? Yeah, it is sticking. So, so it started a couple of days ago, um, and it started to snow. And I had just returned from a vacation in a very warm and sunny place, and so it just felt just bizarre. Aloha. But, yes, thank you. We had a we had a wonderful time. <laughs> so uh, mahalo. Um, um, but yes, it's it's sticking. But you know, tomorrow it'll be gone. Uh, it's too early for any accumulation that will help those of us who like to slide down hills on planks of wood and fiberglass. So when do you pack and your sp- bike away? Um, no, I should be riding back out on the road in a day or so. Um, I do need. We can discuss this. Uh, I do need a new indoor trainer. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. doing all of my research, and you know me with research. It'll take me a month or two to decide what I want. Mm-hmm. So. Um, no, I think I probably have at least. Oh, hold on, David. You're not just yeah. going to call our friends over at Jensen USA and, and take their <laughs> suggestion for it. You're awesome. That was great, Jensen. Who? That's JensenUSA.com/slash/the-spokesman. Um, 
Yeah, so so I should be riding outside in the next day or two, and uh, that'll continue for another month and a half off and on as the snow and the rain come. But then, uh, yes, then I will be in the basement uh, pain cave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, tell us before, how far are you down that uh, that route on researching? How many of you, are you pinning it down to? So I, I, I started this last year, um, starting to decide what I was going to change over to. Um, there's uh, some nice options from from Cyclops that I'm looking mm-hmm. at. Um, Be Cool has some newer ones that I'm, I'm looking at. That go uphill. Um, Yes, exactly. Is that the, is that so the feature I, you're looking on that one? Yeah. That you can get some hill climbing stuff. Exactly, mm. exactly. So, I mean, living here, how can you not practice hill climbing? Exactly. Um, so, I, I don't know. I haven't decided. I don't want to spend a bazillion dollars, but at the same time, I want something that has all the features, you know, that will, you know, for instance, I can control it from my Garmin head unit if I want, or um, I can use it with uh, uh, any of the, the online services that provide uh, training like Training Peaks or Zwift. I'm, I'm not really a Zwift fan. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Um, to me, I don't like riding the same route every time I go riding. So, David, I live in David. I live in San Diego for a reason. I don't use <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good point. You you never have bad weather. Mm. <laughs> you know what? In those three days, those three days, those are God's way of telling you to spend some time with the family and do something right. other than ride. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, let's get into the show, and we will start. Uh, and and because we, we we asked this before the show started, uh, who's watched the today's world championships? And you guys both said you didn't, and that's no real uh, disadvantage because nobody did in the whole world. The the live camera feed packed in at about two kilometers to go and stayed packed in so you had no motorbike uh, pictures at all so you had the the commentators floundering and everybody was in exactly the same position of who's going to come around that corner first and we hadn't heard the name of a certain slovakian pretty much i don't think i'd heard that in the whole race apart from where is he or he's 80th oh he's not going to be doing this and then all of a sudden he pops up and as you've seen on on twitter you guys, he won for the third time. And that the most uh, uh, common phrase I've seen on Twitter since then, and I said it and then everybody else just said it at the same time, was what a rider, exclamation mark. So what what are your, even though you didn't see it, what are your feelings on this race? Well, first of all, I want to know, did they try to blame the camera manufacturer for why there weren't video feeds? Mm. But I, I don't know. Um, no, I, you can, I can tell you this much, Richard. We can't blame Brian Cookson, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Go ahead. I, you know, I, I think Sagan is the best thing that's happened to this sport in a long time. I, I don't think you can come across anybody in the world who doesn't absolutely love him. Mm-hmm. He, he, he is a great ambassador for the sport. He's got the right attitude. Um, so I think it's a wonderful thing, and I think he deserves it. And I think he got a bum rap in the tour. I think everybody thinks he got a bum rap in a tour. Mm-hmm. In the tour, and mm-hmm. maybe this actually just kept him fresh for, for the world. So mm-hmm. you know, viva Sagan. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you guys a question. Um, uh, early in his career, I remember him coming to the tour of California and seeing him ride there, and just being blown away by what an amazing, uh, up and coming talent he was. Um, but I also remember, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm being unfair. 
but don't besides the butt pinching incident um mm. for those of you who don't recall he was in a race and he won the race and he reached around and grabbed the rear end of a podium girl uh, for which he immediately the next day apologized and handed her a bunch of flowers and and things like that but am i wrong weren't, weren't there other sort of uh, immature incidents like that early in his career there was a whole bunch wasn't there that's what i yeah, thought totally yeah, because he was chubby-cheeked. He was like a young up-and-coming rider. You know, he could clearly handle yeah. his bike. But there were a few four-par there. Yeah. And I, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm trying to think of them too. But there was that kind of, you know, before he just won everything, there was that kind of uh, feeling there that he just so, had to mature so, a bit up. Yeah, so that's the question. Did he, did he grow up or, or, or did, it, does he have better uh, – handlers isn't the right word. Um, does he have a better team around him restraining him or do we think that he just grew up? So he grew up. Come on, David. Okay. When you and I were young, didn't we make stupid mistakes too? No, oh, I, I, I never did. Yeah, I didn't. I, I think we made some mistakes together at one time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just, I just was wondering. But and and the other thing is, is that there was somebody riding around Park City. And this is no joke. Um, three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, um, who just had absolutely no manners on the road and was wearing <laughs> a Bora Hands Growy World Championship jersey. Uh, and that just pissed me off. But anyway, um, no, he, he is an amazing cycling talent. Um, he, and he clearly has been from the very beginning. Like I said, when he, when he first showed up the tour of California, when I think most American cycling fans first noticed him, uh, it was clear that the man had something special. And if you, if you read some of the early uh, stories about him, people were saying things about him, like they used to say about a certain gentleman from Texas, uh, about his physiology, uh, literally about the way that his body is built and that he is just um, uh, uh, a sort of a prototype specimen of what you would look for in a cyclist. And that's why, Carlton, mm. as looking at a race and really not hearing his name and then all of a sudden there he is at the finish line, that is uh, part physiology, uh, that is part intelligence. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, he's he's just the he's the whole package, and that's why he's a repeat world champion. Yeah, uh, the physiology okay. is obvious and given, but it's that that race brain that is just yeah. it's phenomenal. That, it's Where his, did he come it's from? his ability to make his bike do things that mm. nobody else could make their bike do. The yeah. fact is that if if it had been anybody else but Sagan. Uh, in that sprint in the tour, they would have been on their ass instead of mm. the other way around. Um, mm. And when you know he won in the U.S., he got away from them going downhill, mm. and it was clearly <laughs> because he just knew how to get his bike around, go around the corner. You know, it, it's uh, maybe we're getting to the tip section, so you know a little bit, you know, <laughs> soon. But one of the tip is, come on, folks. Going uphill is uh, is great, and getting up there to the top before anybody else is great. But if the finish line is at the bottom, you got to ride your bike fast downhill too. And um, Sagan's a you know, as you said, the perfect package of all of those things. Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot of people that can you know wheelie mm -hmm. and ride uh, on a road bike. Mm -hmm. uh, and you watch this man do it, and he and he and he makes it look so effortless. Easy. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's let's get away because maybe you never know. People might actually not have watched the world, and we're now spoiling it. Too late. Too late. <laughs> uh, but as I said, nobody's watched the world. Maybe they will actually bring some footage where they they found it, and we can we can actually see that closing two kilometers. Because I won't spoil it for you right now, guys. 
But there was something happened in that one and a half kilometres that changed everything and we didn't see it. So that's kind of annoying. Okay. But it also means there's some kind of like Easter egg coming up. Now, David, you mentioned yeah. uh, Podium Girls. And here's my segue for today. And that is the Giro is going to be going to Jerusalem. It's going to be going yeah. to Israel. It's even starting, and this is where we'll, we can get into hyper-Jewish topics. It's going to be starting on the Sabbath, on the on a on a Friday, where it, it when if, let's just explain this for people who aren't Jewish. Uh, the fact that uh, Shabbos Sabbath starts on a Friday evening, and then you have a whole afternoon, in effect, of preparing for that evening coming up if you're you're religious so to have the giro even rubbing up even just close to the the sabbath in jerusalem where you potentially have podium girls in a highly highly um charged atmosphere religiously and politically do you foresee fireworks ahead so, Carlton, you lived in Israel. So, so despite the fact that, you know, my name's Bernstein and his name's Wittenberg, um, you probably are more of an expert on this than we. That said, um, you know that on uh, Saturday or Friday night and Saturday in Jerusalem particularly, everything stops. Mm-hmm. Um uh, trains don't run, buses don't run. Um, there are very, very, very few cars on the road. Uh, everyone is walking, um, and and it is, as you said, it it, it 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 is a it is an important religious day, but it's also just culturally for even for people who are not religious mm-hmm. uh, in in Jerusalem in particular, um, it is an important day to stop. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so and so that is significant. Um, now, I, my, my guess is the time trial, if they're smart, we, will be during the afternoon, as you said, during the preparations. But probably will be over before the sun goes down. Yeah, I, I I've asked the organisers to tell me the time. Obviously, they don't really know the time at the moment. But yeah, that's going to be culturally significant yeah. if if yeah. they do it. Even if it just rubs up and it's not just, you know, we're not going to do it in the evening, obviously. Yeah. But even if you do it just, you know, an hour beforehand, that's going to be enough paraphernalia around the tour, driving around. It's like that's going to lead to friction. Yeah. The the Haredi, the the ultra orthodox uh, in Israel will find any reason to to um, protest uh, a secular event Mm. like this. Um, And so I think that that's that that's certainly a, a possibility. Um, the Jiro organizers are smart enough on the political side to avoid uh, the old city, to avoid the West Bank, to you know, to avoid the the politically charged areas um, in, in Israel. But sure, um, certainly uh, there will be some uh, friction over the the issue of Shabbat, uh, and then of course on Saturday when they go from Tel Aviv to Haifa, which again, getting out of Jerusalem gets a little bit more secular. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's still Shabbat. It's still the Sabbath. And I think that there will still be some friction there. So I, I think there's actually, um, I, I had the opportunity of, of speaking with Sylvan Adams, who uh, mm. is part of the owner of the uh, Israel Cycling Academy and was yeah. very much instrumental in getting the Giro to come to Israel. And his real mission behind doing that 
was to show that Israel was more than a, um, a religious country and one that was constantly engaging in war and that it's actually a quite beautiful, you know, country with mm-hmm. lots of other things to see and do. And it's not just a country of religious zealots. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, there is the, uh, acceptance and the support of all levels of government here. And, um, pretty sure they wouldn't be involved if uh, there wasn't a great deal of confidence that this wouldn't, uh, pardon the use of the word, blow up in their face. So, <laughs> nice. um, so I, you know, Sylvan's a very, very, very smart man, and he's very well connected, and I have complete confidence that uh, this is going to come off and uh, look every, every bit the part of the professional cycling event that, that it is no matter where it starts. So I'm planning if mm-hmm. I can, uh, to go, uh, my wife and I are, are, are thinking that this would be a, gr- a great opportunity to go back to Israel. Um, you know, 70th anniversary, the Giro d'Italia, uh, we love it. We'd have no, we would love to go back tomorrow. So, so we're, we're, we're looking at this as, as a possibility to go, but I will say Carlton on the, on the Shabbat topic, I love Shabbat in Jerusalem. It's it's a really wonderful time to be in Jerusalem. So it's kind of like, well, do I just spend the day in Jerusalem or do I go to Tel Aviv to watch the race? There's a little mm-hmm. bit of conflict for me. For those who don't know, Richard mentioned there that Israel Cycling Academy, that is Israel's first professional uh, um, uh, cycling team. They were here at the Tour of Utah, uh, and clearly they will be invited, I'm sure, to the Giro um, <laughs> as well. Uh, and, uh, and, and they've got some pretty good riders on that team. And uh, it's it's nice nice to see that that, that they're out there. One of the things that bugged me, Carlton, and I don't know if I'm going too fast here for you, but um, I mean, just I, I happened to be on Instagram last week, and 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 the Giro tweeted or tweeted posted uh, about uh, being in Jerusalem, and just the hateful, ignorant—I know it's the internet—we never mm-hmm. hear those words, hateful and ignorant. But the hateful and ignorant speech uh, surrounding Israel um, was was difficult to take. And I think that we're going to see more of that from um, those who ha- who hold those feelings uh, in the lead up. And I think that that's another thing that we need to think about. And uh, Richard, I'm sure that was something Sylvan considered as well, wasn't it? The the, the yeah. political controversy and the way that you know, sort of the, the BDS movement, et cetera. You know, we didn't talk about that specifically, um, but you know, I, again. I, well, and and we ex- the the, the um, how do I say this? It is Sunday morning, folks, and we were just at Interbike for five days, so <laughs> the brain is not functioning so well. Um, you know, you can't let life be ruled on the internet by the haters and the naysayers. Um, you, you have to just charge forward with what is fundamentally right and fundamentally just and not let the evil minority change what will be a wonderful thing to have happen. And I was going to say, you know, David, maybe we need to do a spokesman from Israel at the start because I'll be there and who knows, maybe we'll be able to, you know, get a few riders to come by and say hello and and give uh, guests good wishes to us. As, you, just, as, you just made my trip a write-off. That's awesome. <laughs> as, as David knows, maybe Richard doesn't know this, I wrote the Berlitz Guidebook to Israel. 
So Did you I, really? I know Israel very well. I, I lived there for a year. I'm not Jewish, but I was, the, David mentioned the Haredi there, like the Hasidic Jews. I was um, adopted by a group of Hasidic Jews, and I lived in the old city of Jerusalem with them for, for six months. I was like their, their, their token goy, their token Gentile. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not just because I could turn lights on or for them on the, the, the Shabbos, <laughs> that kind of stuff, even though that did happen. They, they Carlton, said, would you please? <laughs> there, there, was, there was all sorts of reasons why they, they liked me and, and that I was there. It is an unbelievable city, is Jerusalem. It is just... I, I'm not a religious person. I know why for the last 3,000 years people have been fighting over Jerusalem. They say it's religion. It's got nothing to do with religion. It's because it's an unbelievably fantastic and gorgeous city. And of yeah. course you'd want that as your, your cultural capital because it's an unbelievable city. So the spectacle of the Giro going to an, an unbelievably iconic, the most iconic city in the in the world, clearly, is going to be phenomenal so it is going to be absolutely fascinating to to see it happen i do worry that there's been very little protest from the palestinian side so far i can imagine that will ramp up and ramp up and ramp up before the Mm. tour starts do you think that could mar the tour i suppose yeah Jiro means to her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, of course, there's always that possibility. But, I, but I think that um, uh, I don't care which side you're on. Y- 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 there are the political, um, there are the political minds within each side who understand what a uh, an effect that could have on the hearts and minds for your side. If you misbehave in that way, I think there could be demonstrations. Mm. I don't personally believe that anyone is dumb enough to um, to do the kinds of things that you're, I think, hinting at uh, at such a um, an international. Well, I say that, and then I think of 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 the Olympic 1972. So, yeah, exactly. um, I suppose anything can happen, right? Um, I was thinking uh, more so, the way boycotts <laughs> rather than bombs. Boycotts for sure. Um, bombs, I certainly hope not. Mm. Mm. Um, one of the things that, that, that's interesting is that, is that people are saying, oh, I can't believe they're leaving Europe and they're, go, they're, they're going off of, of, of the, the of continental Europe and blah, blah, blah. Do we forget that the Giro went to Northern Ireland? Um, and I haven't done the distance, but I'm going to guess it's not too different if you went from the, you know, from Italy to Israel versus Italy to Northern Ireland. Wasn't it Dublin? Uh, was it Dublin? I thought Dublin. it was Northern Ireland. Okay. Hang on, um, that could might be the Tour de France. I was there, so m- maybe that was the Tour de okay. France. So that's a tour- no, um, no, no. You're right. Sorry, sorry. So yes, the Giro was definitely Belfast because they went past the yeah. Titanic, didn't they? Sorry, I do apologise. Yeah. And then uh, it was the Tour, the Tour de France, that went to Dublin because I was at and that the, one. And there have been rumours of the Giro going to of all places, Washington D.C. and Japan. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think, and of course, Richard, you'll know more about all of that. But I just. I think that the Giro is 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 looking to widen their audience, uh, perhaps. Yeah, I, I wish I could say I do know more. There, there, <laughs> I kind of stumble into bits and pieces and retain them, and I haven't stumbled into enough of those. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's clearly, and I think you know they're they're using Formula One as as a mm-hmm. as a template, and mm-hmm. you know 
it used to be Formula One was very centralized in just continental Europe, and then they learned that to really make it a global sport, you actually have to bring the sport to where people are and get them involved in it. Um, so, you know, clearly there is a, there's a race within a race, and the race is how do you become as important as the Tour de France, and how do you um, and all of the geopolitical issues that are going on there, and so clearly. You know, the Juro the is, is number two, and how do you, you know, become number one or even become close in importance uh, to the Tour de France? And so I think smart minds are looking at yeah. how do you do that, and they're probably looking at um, starting or having the race be in different places to help enfranchise that, that viewership. Well, and, and what's fascinating is— <laughs> True. What's fascinating about that, though, is that, is that if, for those of us that are cycling fans— um, I think among many of us, we believe the Giro is is the, if I if I can say this, the more beautiful event. Um, with in Ooh. in a lot of cases, in, in a lot of cases. Well, look, I you know I love the Tour de France. We, we we've discussed <laughs> that, but 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 from a, I, so a lot of times there's more difficult, more interesting stages. Um, I just find that the, a lot of times the Giro is is a more challenging event. Um, not to say that, I mean, any grand tour is challenging, but I, I don't know. I just have a sort of a soft spot in my heart for the Giro. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's move on and let's move on geographically. So we've been to Italy there and we've been to Israel. How about France? Not for the Tour de France, but vive la France, because there's a new French leader. And I'm not talking about Macron. Uh, a certain <laughs> Brit has been knocked off a pedestal. Uh, he, he reckons unfairly. Uh, I know he's been complaining that he had all the votes in the bag to become uh, the, the the returning UCI president. But Brian Cookson was knocked off that uh, spot uh, by a Frenchman. So was anybody expecting that? Does anybody really care? <laughs> oh, that is so <laughs> cruel. OK, look, the, the previous administration was so widely disliked. Uh, and there was such uh, – there were so many uh, accusations of so many different things. I won't even get into it. We all remember how we, we – I mean especially on this show, the way that we talked about the UCI. Have we spoken that way about the UCI certainly as much or anywhere near as much since Cookson took over? No. Mm -hmm. But I look at Cookson as since he's since he didn't win and I think that those who voted looked at him this way as well as sort of an interim head, um, a transition. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think that now they're thinking, okay, we've had sort of our, our buffer, our amuse-bouche, and now, um, <laughs> show title, and now, um, um, and now we can really move forward and really make the changes that everybody likes. D does that make any sense to you, Carlton? It does. I mean, he almost as though he's because we had such a firecracker of a previous uh, UCI president where, yeah, we'd be on the show every single time because it was there was so many crackers things going on. And he even though he didn't do anything incredibly crackers uh, compared to, to McQuaid, it's just been very quiet and it almost feels as though not a lot has gone on. I think a lot of the people reckon he didn't do a great deal on motor doping. He didn't do enough on... Um, other issues uh, connected with... You mean like motorcycles well. running over cyclists? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few issues where people have, have thought he hasn't taken a, a fantastic stance. 
and just Brexit. I mean, that's why. That's why he got got voted. It's out. all Brexit. So uh, yeah, Brexit's like we, fault. We blame, we blame everything on Trump. Got it. Okay. That's... <laughs> no, no, no. That's Theresa May. That's not Trump. You can't blame Trump for that one. <laughs> but do we know much about? Uh, uh, I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna murder his name here. Lapitient. Lapitient. Do we know much about Monsieur Lapitient? No. No. Okay. I now follow him on Twitter, so I, I guess I'll learn more. <laughs> I mean, clearly I knew uh-huh. Brian Cookson a lot better than I know this this new guy. But let let's see what he does. Well, let, let me ask, ask you a question. A okay, question to you guys: mm. If you were to give him a mandate of what he needs to do to actually make this sport grow, what would you tell him he had to do? Can that be my tip? <laughs> <laughs> I love that when I'm on, we, we, we still we talk about that. <laughs> that is such a big question. So, so I, I, I have an idea. I have an, so I have an idea. And that is, I was talking to somebody in, in on my last trip over for business to, to visit my colleagues in, in Belgium, where um, everyone's a cycling fan. Um, we were discussing, uh, it was during the Vuelta, and we were discussing... Um, Team Sky. In particular, we were talking about Chris Froome. And everybody was saying, look, you know, in, 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 the, in the Armstrong era, if you will, um, um, apparently their team did so well because they were so good at um, making sure that their riders were pharmacologically prepared for the race. That wasn't the oh, way that they was very well said. Thank you. With Sky, that team has so much money Mm. that uh, as a result, Chris Froome is able to do the Tour of Vuelta double and perhaps maybe if he decides to go for the Giro, do a triple, uh, you know, an annual triple. Um, With that said, I wonder if one of the things that might uh, even out the sport is, and, and this may not be the right term for it, but some sort of a salary cap some sort of a way of ensuring that we can equalize the teams from a financial standpoint uh, and whether or not that would make a difference. Now, I'm not a baseball fan or a basketball fan, I'm a, and I don't, so I don't know whether or not the, the salary cap in, in, in those professional sports has, has made a difference. Uh, it seems like it could. I wonder, th- th- does that make sense to anybody? Absolutely. You know, the, the, the fact is, it, it, if there isn't something done, uh, it, it is going to go the way of, of any sport where the sheer financial resources become so overwhelming that you can dominate anything. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, it becomes one where it's not really very much fun to watch anyway. If you're going to sh- show up to a race and you know Sky's going to win, why do you even bother showing up? Um, it's been a little bit more balanced. And I think one of the great stories of the, the tour this year was – and you read it all over the press, uh, especially in Belgium, was it was the fight between, you know, David and Goliath, uh, you know, David being AG2R and Goliath being uh, our, our friends at Sky. And just the the Belgians always love an underdog. So they were rooting because Lotus et al. nor Quickstep were really doing much of anything in the tour this year. What bikes do they um, ride, Richard? What bikes do they ride? Uh, what, my, um, do they, do they... they got this funny... Well, I'll call it, they got this blue paint job with white letters. Let me think. You're not involved with that company, factor, are you? Factor, factor, that's it. You factor, ain't even involved right. with that company. It's just... just I, I, yeah, full disclosure here. With them. Full disclosure, yes. <laughs> yes uh, I am, in fact, the managing director of Factor, so I might watch it a little bit more. Be a little bit biased. 
which, by the way, we did win a world championship yesterday. It was the under 23, which, by the way, the cameras did catch the whole thing of. Mm-hmm. But, by the way, nobody really cared because nobody blew up my phone with that one. But they blew <laughs> my phone up with something else. But we'll get to that later. Mm. Um, but so, uh, so you were talking about money and, and that it would make it a difference. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. absolutely. So, so, so you uh, asked it, for my idea. That's my idea. Let's let's figure out a way to to, to equalize the teams from a financial standpoint. So, how does it uh, educate this Brit who has no idea about these things? How does it work in uh, in your national sports that you've just mentioned? How does that how does it actually physically work where you you, you cap the players' salaries? Uh, uh, I, go ahead. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to go to motorsports more um, and, and how they do it. Right. So, you know, you have the extreme of it not being limited, which is Formula One. And, mm. you know, you, you get the typical you've got one or two teams, which right now are Mercedes and Ferrari, who have budgets that are, you know, on its, uh, almost unlimited versus people who are limited. And so what they've done in Formula One with not a lot of success is limit the amount of testing, limit, you know, a bunch of different things you can do. Then there's sports like NASCAR, which really kind of you know mandates that everything is equal. Everybody runs the same cars mm. uh, very much, and it's a very you know standard box that you have to fit in. Um, you know, in terms of salary caps, it, it's essentially a, a company, a, a team has a certain amount of money that they can spend on salaries, and those are reported. Right. And you can choose to put all your money on one guy and pay your other guys nothing or some balance. So it's working within a constraint uh, of cash. Um, But again, I'm, you know, bike guys don't typically watch football and baseball, which is where I think that's. Richard, you mentioned I'm 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 wearing my Rams sweatshirt because they did win this week. So I I am a a Rams fan, which means I'm a long suffering fan, just like I'm a UCLA Bruin fan. Same problem. But I think Richard hit it right on the head. You have you have a certain pot of money. Everybody has the same amount and you can choose to spend that money however you like, but you cannot spend a penny more. Um, and I think that, 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 that's how the salary cap works. Would that in professional cycling be enough? I don't know. Um, be, because again, I think sky is spending more money in, in other ways as well. Well, change, yeah. change tax slightly in that Richard, you yeah. mentioned that, uh, the equipment was the same. Well, mm-hmm. the UCI famously almost went down that route, uh, with the Lugano charter, which in effect mm-hmm. banned innovations and, and, and the, the, Previous, but previous, previous uh, UCI uh, president uh, famously d- wanted everybody on, a f- in effect, the same equipment, and in effect, a 1950s equipment is what what they, they seem to be after. So, might it be that my tip? In fact, I, I won't say this. I won't pose this as a question. This will be my tip. This will be my recommendation. Is this new guy goes further than Brian Cookson to loosen the Lugano Charter? In effect, mm. get rid of the Lugano Charter and have a, a, a Wild West, have a, a free-for-all where these bike companies, Factor or whoever, can can start innovating again. I, I completely support that. Um, the, the reality is, is that, you know, think about it. Why does a bicycle company get involved in sponsoring a pro tour team? I should say world tour team. There is no pro tour. Mm. Um, and you get involved to showcase your product and and give your brand um a a 
a, a wide canvas to, to paint itself on. And whenever there is innovation in the world tour, it trickles down and people buy that product. And ultimately, believe it or not, we're here to sell things. It's, I know it's kind of shocking. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you can get into the whole disc break discussion. And the fact is, until there was a winner on disc breaks in the Pro Peloton this year, nobody in the Pro Peloton wanted to talk about them. And hence, there was a lot of resistance within the retail environment into buying them. But since that time, you know, the whole attitude, and this is sort of a common thread that went from Eurobike to Interbike, is disc brakes are here. And the reason disc brakes are here now, even though they've been here for, I don't know, four years, five years, is because guys in the world tour are using them. They validated that technology, and now consumers need to or may want to go out and buy another bike, which helps us buy and invest in the world tour. So it's only good for them if they can loosen those constraints and, and let us uh, have a bit wider of a canvas to, to paint our, our, our beauty on. David, where do you stand? Do you, you agree that? Rip up the Lugano Charter? <sighs> well, I think we... Okay, look. I think that we need um, some guidelines mm. uh, around um, the, 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 the bikes that are being ridden. Um, uh, even, even in Formula One, even in, in NASCAR, uh, I think that there... I think... I wish Donna was here. I, I think that there are there are guidelines around what's being there written. are I, there are yeah, yeah yeah and and I I know that here on this show there was the much pilloried decal program you know the UCI decal mm. program um, you know my my new bike that I'm riding has a decal on it mm. um, um, Richard certainly your bikes have to I think still have to have the decal on them um, yeah. and 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 so I think that there do need to be guidelines. Do I think that everybody should be riding the same bike? Absolutely not. Because just like in NASCAR and in Formula One, in cycling, the innovations that, as Richard said, the innovations that come to the racers eventually trickle down to us Freds. And we want to ride those um, because we're Freds. Uh, um, and, and, and that's a good thing. Um, you know, the uh, suspension in mountain biking started on the race circuit before it came to my bike. Um, disc brakes. Uh, I mean, all these different things that we can talk about. TT bars. There's your um, your uh, segue. Segue. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Um, all all of these different all of these different innovations started in racing on racers' bikes before they came to the the consumer. When I was at way back in the dark ages when dinosaurs roamed the earth, when I was back at Tioga, when we came out with a new product, we put it on Johnny's bike before it went out on a Diamondback or a Raleigh or a Trek because that way we were able to test it. We would get test reports from John Tomac. We would get test reports from Tinker Juarez. And it was those guys that helped us shape the products that eventually hit the consumer's bikes. So please do not over limit what goes on a racer's bike. But I think that there do need to be some parameters. Do you think this is one of the reasons why the Little 500, the, the you know the Indiana University race founders maybe, because they're all on the same bike? No idea. Uh, well, I, 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 mm, that's a good question. Um, there, 
<laughs> they're rather archaic old bikes too. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they're they're uh <clears throat> POSs. I mean they're mm-hmm. something you would buy for a hundred, you know, you you would find, you know, pull out of the trash heap and uh did it when I was with uh, Brunswick, we Roadmaster was the sponsor and uh it was a bike that was uh, essentially what we would sell to Walmart for, you know, at less than a hundred bucks, mm-hmm. um, you know, one piece cranks and the whole thing, but it's a different kind of event. And, you know, I, I don't think it would be as interesting for uh, manufacturers to get involved in it. Um, because it just, it's not at all relevant to what the market is looking for and what they want. Richard, it's just my excuse to put in a, bre- a link for breaking that's, away. That. That's all. That's all. Okay, there you go. <laughs> See that on my screen, Carlton. I want to ask you. You, you brought up the, the words motor doping, and I, I just mm. want to ask you guys just just briefly about that. So we had the um, the young lady in the Belgian um, racer, uh, and 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 she was caught motor doping. I, I want to ask you guys: Is this a realistic concern? Is this really something we think people are attempting? Ask a manufacturer first, I guess. I guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Richard, you go. You go uh, for it. Can you just give me the easy questions, please? Because the hard ones. Don't I pay somebody to answer the hard ones? Is it, I, look, is it a real concern or is it something is it is it something made up? Well, I think it obviously is something that's not made up because there was somebody who was caught doing it. Um, one. one, but well, number one, the ability to keep secrets anywhere that would be that noticeable in the team truck, something like that. I find it very hard that a charger could be put to something without anybody seeing it. It just seems highly unlikely that somebody could get away with it. Um, maybe in a one-day race where you know the guy shows up, pulls the bike out, rides it, and comes back. But in a multi-day race where... You know, everything is open to everybody to see everything. I, I find it really hard to believe um, that it's happening. Are the bikes really cool? Would I like to have one so I could beat up people on my local club ride? Hell yeah. But is it making its way to the pinnacle of the sport? I, I, I would find that very, very hard to believe. But I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. Mm, yeah, I guess until we see a... a, a different bust to to that dutch rider then belgian. all we can say is we sorry belgian all we can say is um we don't know at the moment yeah and and i and and, and see richard i i tend i agree with you I, I and and we've both been stuttering as we've been talking about this i find it very <laughs> very hard to believe um that this is that this is a real and of course, you know, I'll eat my words in a year or two, I'm sure. But I, I just feel like like this is this is um, something over nothing. A tempest in a teapot, can we say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or something to make um, Cookson look good. Oh, I guess it didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just wanted to know your thoughts. No. No. Hey, I was talking with Ryder <laughs> the other day. And... I said, how do people even think that? And he just he just shook his head and he, he said, I have no clue. <laughs> mm. But it's it's sensationalism and it's, you know, if it blows up on YouTube, it must be the truth. Or yeah, right. Media, right? <laughs> right. Okay, let's uh, carry on going forward. And, and we, we did get a slight mention of a certain stem that broke. 
but uh, Richard, you're going to you're going to introduce this for us. What exactly? Do happened? I get to actually get up on a soapbox? Mm-hmm. Go for it. As I'm sitting as I'm sitting on a on a Bosu ball here on my desk, trying to you know do a little core workout as I'm talking about things. <laughs> um, yeah, this this uh, I think I woke up Tuesday morning to uh, my texts and my inbox and my uh, Facebook uh, posts about um, a certain age two R riders TT bike with bars that um, the extensions came away from the base bar. And I, uh, I now know what going viral means. <laughs> I, 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 I have never seen anything spread like this as quickly mm. as it was. And I think what was really, really concerning about it is that nobody bothered to ask the question, what happened? Everybody was jumping to conclusions. Everybody was, I wouldn't say everybody, there were just a whole bunch of people just assuming the worst. And, you know, it it was, I think it was most frustrating in terms of dealing with the media. Sorry, Carlton. Um, (laughs) Because only one guy bothered to pick up the phone or send me an email and say, Richard, what really happened? Mm-hmm. And so uh, to sort of give everybody the background, um, uh, an AG2R rider who wor- rides for actually the development squad, which is not part of the pro squad, had jumped on a TT bike of ours and asked the mechanic on the start line to raise the extensions one millimeter. And the mechanic was actually not the primary mechanic. The mechanic was actually sort of a rented for the the event because the primary mechanic was on holiday. And so you have a new rider with a new mechanic, the new rider. Oh God, this goes to one of the tips too. If you're racing, (laughs) never change anything the day of a race. Mm Mm-hmm. And then two, to mechanics, if you don't know what the hell you're doing with something, don't touch it. Um, they, he added the extra uh, extensions. And the way these extensions work is they, uh, they bolt directly into the base bar. And as you add more spacers, you need longer bolts. And what he did is he put the extra spacer in there and he didn't put the, ex- the longer bolt in it. And so what happened is... He the rider went over a speed bump, and the less than two millimeters of threads that were engaged holding the bars on came loose, mm. and the rider went crashing to the pavement. And he wasn't seriously hurt. Well, seriously, you know, if you're lost skin from head to toe, and that's not serious, meaning he, he didn't have to stay in the hospital. He didn't have any internal injuries, thank God. And everybody was, you know, running and quick to judge that, you know, there you go, you know, you, you're, this, the industry doesn't take enough care to make sure that everything is safe and they're making products that are inferior and that carbon fiber isn't safe and this isn't safe and that isn't safe. Number one, it had nothing to do with carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Number two, it did nothing, uh, had nothing to do with a defective part. What it had to do with is human error. And guess what, folks? We're human, and we make mistakes. And that mechanic made a mistake, 
and the rider made a mistake. And, you know, I, it's, it's just, it, it was just amazing to me. And it really showed me that the negative part of, of human nature, just how, how people want to be so quick to judge. And, and welcome to so 2017. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I, mean, I did go to Berkeley. I, I did go to Berkeley. So I tend to be a bit of a, yeah. you know, a feel gooder kind of guy. So. Um, well, but, we, what was that? What we have on the show sometimes is Donna, and Donna was in an absolute firestorm with yeah. Kryptonite many years ago, with, which was at that time you were able to open them with the Bureau pen tops, and it was how she eventually, and the whole company eventually handled that particular problem. Then got into into PR textbooks. So from your witnessing this at at, at first hand. How did you as a company deal with that viral crap storm? Um, I guess I'm not going to be writing PR textbooks. Um, <laughs> but uh, and when, I, I think it, I have a very clear, uh, how do I say, uh, SOP um, on this. And one is let's find out the facts. Mm-hmm. And that took some time because the team didn't exactly know what had happened because these were kind of temporary people. Uh, once we did find out, what we did is we made sure that the team wrote a letter explaining the situation and we posted that letter. Uh, then there was some concern from the press that uh, we at uh, factor did not take enough responsibility for it. So at that point, I requested explanation on what they would like to see and how they would like to see it so we could better put the issue to bed. And at that point, um, Patrick Brady from uh, Red Kite Prayer uh, actually asked for the information, mm-hmm. like what happened. And I th- I went out and I got it. There are pictures, and if anybody wants to see it, it's on Red Kite Prayer. And it goes through very, very detailed explanation of you know, what the bolts were, what was added, how much lead was engaged, all these types of things. And it, it's pretty much died down after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it got picked up by ESPN, and they ran it. Uh, so every time it looked like it was sort of dying down, it would flare back up again mm-hmm. and die back down and flare back up again and now talking about it here, I'm probably going to flare it back up again. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but, but Richard, I, I, I felt that, that, that what, you, what was written on your website um, is sort of in response uh, was, was an excellent explanation. And, and, and it kind of goes back to the, the topic just previous to this one. Um, we, give, we give racers products and, and they test them and then they trickle down to consumers and I think that this is an excellent lesson for consumers in following manufacturers' directions, whether it's bolt length, whether mm-hmm. it's torque settings. Um, I think that, that, that we are all riding more and more precision products, and we need to be cognizant of the instructions that are given to us by the manufacturers. The manufacturers do not give us those instructions uh, frivolously. They do so because there are very solid and sound reasons behind them. And if you don't follow those instructions, danger could result. 
And so I think that this should be an excellent lesson for consumers in following instructions. And, and I think that that's what you're pointing out in the letter on your website. Yeah, well, thank you. You're, you're a great wingman. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can I call you next time something like this happens? Please. Will you talk me yeah. through it? Because it's clearly that you've got... So, um, yeah, no, it, it, it is absolutely that way. And, and, you know, through the years of working with Ridley and Cannondale and umpteen other, uh, you know, bike companies, you know, folks, if you don't know what you're doing, put the tool down and walk away. Yeah. Stop talking, touching the tools, walk away, folks. So let me, let me just tell you. Sorry, sorry, Richard. Just let me just confirm yeah. this because then this is a, can actually be a bite biz story for me. In, in that, uh, you literally had only one call, and that was from Patrick on this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what about internationally? Do you know if there's any other calls went out? Nothing, zero, zero clarification. Just hit share and let it fly. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, well, that's that's probably a bite biz story for me then. That nobody followed up on this apart from Patrick. Okay. Yeah. And you. And you. Now, I mean, I, I saw the images. I'm, I'm going to be completely transparent here and say I saw the images. It just passed me by, mostly. It was, I didn't see it as an industry story at the time. Uh, I was clearly doing some other things. There's a whole bunch of big stories that, that passed me by this week in, in the real world, never mind in the, in the, in the bike world, because I was concentrating on certain stories I was doing. But now I shall, I shall, I shall plug both, uh, both Factor and... And Patrick, because Patrick clearly did a good job there. Now, I, I do want to clarify. There were certain friends of Rob and mine who went to bat for us and just said, hey, look, you know, they don't make crap. These mm-hmm. guys know what they're doing. Let's figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and then somebody actually did follow up and found out what happened. And Dave, uh, Dave Casel was was very instrumental in sort of starting the conversation with the media mm-hmm. about why aren't you finding out what's going on? And and I think it, it on the good side of things, you find who your friends are. You find you know who really you know has your back and who wants to see you do well. And you know that was very heartening for Rob and I as as people starting a fledgling bike company to know that there were so many people there behind us and 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 really came to our defense. And I th- I think that's the. That's the real good thing that came out of the whole thing, out of the whole uh, event. But I think that, that uh, I mean, just Googling around about this and, and seeing it on what we would normally consider mainstream sports websites, mm-hmm. you know, to go to your point of it, of it going viral, when, when you see it on, on these mainstream websites um, who clearly never cover cycling, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like the Sunday, Sunday evening blooper reel on the sports, you know, the local sports mm-hmm. channel. Um, yeah. And, and that's concerning because if that's the image that people have of cycling today, you know, it, it, what is, what, what does Chris Smith say? It, it's dangerizing cycling. Um, I just, I think that, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's not good for our sport. Let's put it that way. Well, let's spin that around and say there's no such thing as bad publicity. If you're getting factor on ESPN, even if it's yeah. ostensibly somebody crashing off a, a factor, we now know the, the facts there, but is that the very fact that the brand is on there, Richard? Does that not is that not a huge fillip for the for the brand anyway? Even though it's actually a bad news story in many ways. Where's Donna when you need her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, 
Yeah, you can look at it. You, you can look at it both ways, and I'm clearly trying to look at it in the positive light. And I think it could have been all positive if somebody had just said, "And the reason this happened was because the wrong bolts were put in." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that that wasn't asked is what kind of caused a a real challenge for us. But look, when you look at when when we when we consider our biggest challenge in marketing the brand. Uh, certainly brand name recognition is something that we need to develop and more eyeballs seeing the brand are good. And as long as people remember seeing the brand and not why they saw the brand, heck yeah, it's good stuff. Mm. So, mm. so the video I'm looking at where, where the rider is actually, uh, falling off, he's actually left the brand name just perfectly visible so you, you know that leg could actually have an obscured factor but it's not you can see the whole word so from my point of view as a as a communicator i would say that's got to be a good thing because you're on mainstream media the brand is out there any people won't won't clock this for the next you know, 20 years they'll just see factor as a name and i don't think people will will, will associate you with a crash I think they'll just associate with you. Oh, there's a, a company called Factor in in six months' time when they're coming to make a bike purchase, and they've never heard of it. You know, they may have heard. Hallelujah! I think that's what will pan out. Okay, girl, I, you know I'm going with you, man. I I like that answer, and when I sit in front of the board of directors next month, that's <laughs> what I'm going to say. There you go. Treat treat it as here's all the coverage we had last month. <laughs> That's right. Look, look at that one. Can't you talk about Benoit winning the under 23 world championship yesterday? Not yesterday, the day before. Mm-hmm. You know, can we get half that amount of, of press about it? No, it's, come on. That is that is gold to get that much coverage. I know, I know it's incredibly annoying for you, but at the same time, you've got a brand new brand in front of the in front of the world. In a way you never planned and you want wouldn't want to plan, but that's what's happened. So go with it. All right. I'll, I'll roll with the punches. Roll with it. I'll go roll with it. it. Okay. At yeah. that point, we will cut to an ad break and we will bring in a robot, David. We'll bring in a, a pre-recorded message from David. No, we won't. Because yes, we I'm will. here. No. You're so not going to do I'm, it live again, are you? I'm going to do it live. Oh, and you go know on. why? No. You know why I'm going to do it live? Why? I love why? these guys. <laughs> this is our, our longtime, very loyal advertiser, and that is... Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Um, what, what do we say about them? Well, we say what we always say, and that is that they have a great selection of products at amazing prices. And what really sets them apart is their customer service. It really is second to none because when you talk to them, you're talking to their gear advisors, and their gear advisors are cyclists and they are riding the stuff that they're selling and they can really give you some, some, some great advice. And I, I've, I've, taken that advice more times than I can count, and they do a great job. Now, we, we talk about the fact that Jensen USA, in, in their selection, they have everything from bikes to parts to tools to nutrition and apparel. And speaking of apparel, right now at Jensen USA, they're having their end-of-season apparel sale. Now, I, I think that they're being uh, um, a bit modest on their website when they talk about the fact that you can save 20% or more. I think the or more part is really, really important because as I was scrolling through earlier, um, the items that are on sale, and it's everything from jerseys to shorts to to gloves and socks and helmets, 
I'm not seeing a whole lot of 20%. I'm seeing a lot of 50% and 51% off. Um, some really, really large discounts on some brand name products. Products from Fox and, and Shock, uh, excuse me, and Scott and Bell and Giro and Shimano. I mean, all of the major brands that you can think of when you think about apparel, they're on sale at Jensen USA right now in their end of season apparel sale. And let's face it. You never have enough jerseys. You never have enough shorts. And certainly, uh, cyclists never have enough socks. So go ahead and check them out. It's at JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. We sincerely appreciate them for their support of the show. And, of course, we appreciate you for supporting Jensen USA. Go check them out. JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. And now, back to Carlton. And that genuinely wasn't a robot. That was the real David giving it to us live. David, thank you ever so much. I thought I was going to give you a rest. I thought no, we, could, no, like, they... we, could, we could slot this in afterwards and we could have a chin wag. And... But no, you just went for it. So, hey, David, you. I want to just throw in a little – I hadn't really spoken that much with him, but I did have, uh, a, have the opportunity to spend a great deal of time yeah. uh, with Jensen um, at the show this, uh, this last week. And I was really impressed with their professionalism and the depth of knowledge that uh, – I was dealing with more on the, on the, the buying side of things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of good people out there, but the Jensen people are certainly and it I think the evidence of how good they are is how quickly they're growing. And yeah. you don't grow if you're not doing things right. So kudos to you for bringing them on board and kudos, yeah. kudos to them for doing such a good job. They're good people, and and if 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 anybody's interested, you can go to a website. It's got a bunch of dust and and and, and cobwebs on it. It's thefredcast.com, and if you go check that out, um, I, there's actually a video of me interviewing the uh, owner and founder of Jensen, and it's and it was from when I was doing Interbike TV. I don't know about 25 years ago, but um, mm-hmm. go check it out. It's 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 interesting. Uh, the 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 foundational story, the the, the culture behind the company. Um, they're they're good people. So there you go. Thank well, let's, you, let's let's talk about Interbike. And when I yeah. say let's, I mean let's get Richard <laughs> to talk about Interbike because <laughs> because neither me or David actually went this year. So this is all going to be on Richard. So Richard, is it possible for you to give a thumbnail sketch of what went on this year and and how people were thinking because they're waving goodbye to Las Vegas? I have a question first. Mm. Can I? Mm, go Richard. for it. I saw Pat Hoos <laughs> in Long Beach <laughs> Airport a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and he and he he actually noticed me and he and, and he, he yelled my name and I didn't even hear him. And my wife's like, "Hey, that guy over there is calling your name." Anyway, <laughs> I, I said, "I said Reno next year. That'll be interesting." I said, "But I but but Pat, what's with having Interbike during the Jewish High Holidays?" And he started like groaning. Yeah, I've been hearing that. Uh, did you give him any crap about that when you saw him? I think when Pat sees me, he runs the other direction. Um, <laughs> Pat, Pat is the organizer of the calls, show. He calls you out, you know, to, to start a conversation. He ducks and runs for me. But okay, so let, let's just let's re- remind re- that, that Pat is the the organizer of the show, and the newsworthy part of here is the show is leaving Las Vegas and going next year to uh, Reno Lake Tahoe. So same same questions again there then Richard what what was it like and what was no it's okay David and what was the the feeling like uh, generally on leaving Las Vegas um well day 1 was actually I was quite surprised at how populous it was there I was expecting to see tumbleweeds rolling down the aisles 
um, where people were playing, you know, were bowling and trying to knock each other over because the aisles were so empty you could roll a ball from one side to the other. It wasn't the case day one. Day one actually looked like it had some very, very good traffic. Um, day two and day three, whew, crickets, baby. Mm. Really? Mm. It's, yeah. Yeah, it was – there were more people hitting people up for sponsorship than people who wanted to buy stuff. So what do you put that down so, to? Why, why was it busy one day and, and not busy the next? Uh, well, I think everybody still wanted to go, but I don't think there were as many exhibitors, and so therefore there wasn't as much ground to cover, so people wanted to get in and get out. Mm. So um, it's a one-day show. Know, you could do it in a day. Yeah, and mm. I think even the media really kind of cut their time short. Um, normally they would have stayed the whole sort of Monday through Friday deal, and people were flying in on – Wednesday morning, flying out Thursday night. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think everybody was done with Vegas. Everybody was sort of getting recalibrated to see what happens when it moves to Reno and it changes its timing. Um, so... Uh, so is this a recalibration we, then? Is, it, is the move going to be a good thing because people are kind of bored about Las Vegas now anyway? Or... Or can I? Mm. My, my alternate explanation might be maybe trade shows really have, Had you know, day. maybe we are in the death throes of trade shows. Hmm. Mm. Well, that's that's a that's a very big subject, and I think I came out the last time I was on being a rather large naysayer against trade shows, mm. um, and and not really feeling that they had relevance. And I'm going to modify my position slightly and say that there is a value to the industry getting together in one place to talk and to share ideas and to really help get new thought processes going. Um, I, I, I'm going to say, and I'll come out right now, that February is when we should be having these things. And not in the middle of the selling season when people are trying to make money. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure that it – I think we – again, it's a recalibration of, okay, what do we want a trade show to do? Uh, you know, young brands and new brands, people like Factor, um, need a place to get in front of people. But shops need to want to come somewhere. And there needs to be a retail in, uh, environment to it because – you know, we're losing an incredible number of shops every year. I don't know. I've heard everything from one to 2,000 shops a year going out without any new ones coming in. Wow. Mm. You know, it, it's just the independent bicycle dealer network is under in extreme duress, extreme duress. Um, so we need to find places where the end consumer and the shops and these, the new people who are going to have to come in to, to fill that gap can get together and, and, and build a strong industry. It, it's, it's necessary. We can't create harmony and synergy within the industry without getting together once a year. So I'll, I'll throw that to Pat. I'm sure he's already thought about it. And if we can sort of juggle how we all think about what that looks like. When, when's the tour of California? Uh, May, isn't it? May. It's, yeah. usually, it's usually competing with the Jura. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm just thinking, you know, could could you marry, say, a big road event, a big mountain bike event, a big event of some sort and marry that to a trade show? So you guarantee well, I, a certain number of consumers. Well, I, I think who does that already is um, Sea Otter Classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You Good know, point. Sea Otter does an amazing job. And I think there I think you've really struck on something there, Carl. If nobody's gone, if you haven't gone to Sea Otter, you, you and you're a cyclist of any shape or form, go. Absolutely go. It is Woodstock for bikes. <laughs> and uh, look, as an exhibitor, it's hot, it's dusty. It, it's not exactly the most comfortable place to be. But if you want to celebrate the sport of cycling, that's the place to go. Yeah. They but, put okay, on a you great talk event. About- you talk about hot and dusty. Remember the days when we used to go to Cactus Cup? Ugh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's Sea Otter took over for a Cactus I Cup. I know, right? I know. Yeah. You know. Hey, I, I got to ask you, Richard. So, because so, I'm a gear geek, what what was the buzz? Um, uh, besides, obviously, the line that, that was shown in the factor booth. What? Um, we, by what the way, was, were, so we were exhibiting off premises in a private suite down the strip. This is why Pat, who's chases him. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly Got right. It. It didn't feel good about us. I couldn't, but I, let, let me just explain it. Yeah. This is exactly the point. I could right. not afford to go to his trade show. Mm-hmm. Sure. I sponsor a world tour team. I don't have any extra money. <laughs> I got to do it like how I can do it to be most cost effective. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, go ahead. Sorry. So what? So the question is, what was the buzz? Were there, were there particular products? Because usually at the show, there's there's two or three things that everybody's talking about. Was, was there anything like that this year? What sound does a cricket make? Mm. What about Yamaha? What I'm seeing on um, Yamaha, well, what I'm, electric, lots Yamaha, of electric really. bikes. That's yes. what I you saw. No, it's funny. Um, Jim Moss said, uh, 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 and our friends, uh, uh, several of our friends said that electric bikes were really big mm. at the. Uh, Kendall said this as well at the um, um, at, at the outdoor demo. Um, I've seen a lot of buzz about this relatively inexpensive power meter. Um, power beats, if I'm getting that right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but otherwise, really, Richard, that's it. Well, I again, I'm saying this because of where I was orbiting, and and yeah. I'm not a journalist, so I wasn't orbiting trying to find the new hot thing. Um, you know, the general tone was, you know, and I talked to suppliers and you know, friends from way back. And it always goes to, well, what do you think about the show? And, the, you know, it was, uh, well, the day one was good. Day two and two, three were, were not. And then what do you think about going to Reno? I don't know. So <laughs> that was really the, the biz. But clearly uh, e-bikes were, I mean, if you talk about overarching buzz, everybody sort of being pleasantly surprised with, what seems to be a movement that's really starting where they were more or less relegated to the, yeah, right part of the, the show to mm-hmm. the, wow, I got to really start looking at this. I might need to invest. This might just be what I need. So um, it's becoming a real thing and it's going to really happen in the U.S. So you're a bike and, and Europe, we've, we've kind of we've gone past that phase. So we are in Europe, we're kind of ahead of you. I mean, not not yeah. the UK, but in Europe. So Eurobike went went that way about four years ago. Where now 
every booth, every stand has uh, electric bikes. And then it's unusual to see a standard bicycle. So I'm guessing that's the way that it will go in the U.S., now and yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you are behind the curve in many respects on that but then you've got companies like specialized you know really really getting into into e-bikes mm-hmm. Who Eurobike, at the show this, of course this, yeah and we never really chat about Eurobike, but Eurobike was all e-bikes mm-hmm. all the time yeah mm-hmm. i mean just it, it was e-bike 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 mountain e-bike road e-bike um you know focus showed some really cool um electric road bikes um that just blew my my socks off Eurobike. they were just i've never thought i was going to go pay retail for a, a you know a competitor's product but i gotta have one of those focus road e-bikes <laughs> drop bar looked great they just were oh my gosh they were fantastic so um yeah e-bikes Mountain e-bikes, my next purchase. Mm-hmm. And I and I want to I want to clarify what I said because Power Beats are headphones. It's the Watt <laughs> Team Power Beat. I don't want to get that wrong. So okay, don't write in, okay. folks. Okay. <laughs> and were, were they on like the innovation table? You know, because Interbike's no, famous it, for its innovation table. Right. The, what what uh, uh, Rich Kelly and I call uh, Tiny Town usually. Right. The mm. little, <laughs> little ten by ten booths. Mm. Um, uh, and where and Rich Kelly, here's a shout out. Come back on the show, would you please? Um, I, I gave um, him a freaking plug with the Focus, you yeah, know, right? Electric <laughs> bike. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, they, they've gotten a lot of press because the, the reason why they've gotten a lot of press is because it is a crank based direct power meter for about the price of Oakley's. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Uh, and, you know, 260 bucks for, uh, a single sided power meter, uh, or you can do both cranks for, I think $400. That's really inexpensive. And even, you know, and everybody's saying it's an accurate product. The only issue is you have to install it yourself. Um, or you, I think you pay them a hundred dollars and they, and they'll do it for you. But, um, I'm very seriously considering this cause that's a really, really inexpensive power meter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, sorry. Hey, no, if you've got okay. a ten dollar head, wear a ten dollar helmet. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> you calling David a cheapskate? You calling him? Cheap? I am. I am. Okay. Yeah. Thank God you've got both ends of the spectrum on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to be the cheap one. Somebody's oh, got to well, be buying the wait. champagne. I'll buy the champagne, David. You okay. can buy the beer. <laughs> you haven't heard my tip yet. I have an expensive tip, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do tips. Oh, really? Do tips. Is it that time? It, it's, it is that time. David, you've got it. You're up first. Cool. So um, there are those who have and those who will. And what I'm talking about is people who drive into their garage with their bikes on top of their car. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are those who have and there are those who will. And I do not want you. <laughs> if you haven't, I don't want you to be the person who does. So here's my tip. It's expensive. Uh, and it's definitely along the lines of being a Fred and a total dweeb like me. And here's the way it works. So I have home automation in my house. I'm sure nobody will be surprised by that. And, um, I put a sensor on my garage door, uh, and that sensor, it's a, it's a, it's literally a garage door sensor that, that, that not only can tell using a magnet, whether the garage door is open or closed. Um, but it can also tell when the garage door starts moving. 
And so what I do is before I leave the house with my bikes on my um, uh, on the roof of my car uh, and the garage is closed, I activate a little script on my phone. And by the way, Carlton, I will write something up on this because I don't want to get too technical here on the show. I will write something up on this. On your phone? Wow. Yes. Okay. Uh, And I'll write something up so that if people want to do the same thing, they can. And so what happens is when I, I, I say, okay, my bikes are on top of my car. And when I come back a few hours later and I'm tired from, uh, you know, a 20,000 foot climb, 250 mile ride, um, I, you know, I'm oxygen deprived and I've forgotten that the bikes are on top of the car. And as soon as I press my garage door opener and my garage starts to move, my phone tells me, hey, there's bikes on top of your car. Now, what does it cost? So I'm using a smart things hub. Uh, that's the, the center of my home automation here. I'm not using my Apple TV and home kit. Sorry. Uh, and I'm using, I believe it's a smart things, multi-purpose sensor. Uh, I also have an, a, uh, a gizmo inside my car so that my house knows when my car arrives and turns my lights on and does fun stuff like that. And so when the hub notices that the garage is moving, it then just sends a text message to my phone that says, don't drive into the garage because your bikes are on top. David, now, you're to from the all- future. You I am, are from yeah. the future. I am. And um, <laughs> it, it, come join us. It's it's, it's <laughs> sunny and warm here um, <laughs> because of global warming. And um, the the anyway, there used to be all kinds of apps for this. There was mm. a great app that I used to use on my iPhone. I probably talked about it here on the show years and years ago. Mm. The problem is the guy decided to stop updating it and I needed to find a way to make sure that I didn't become the guy who drives into the garage with his expensive bikes on the roof. So I came up with this solution. It works great. I will write up a little blurb on this and I will make sure that um, I put it on a blog somewhere and then you can link to it in the show notes. Mm. Questions? Uh, uh, David, I, I, I'm blown away. <laughs> well, I, my mouth is so open. My chin is hitting my, 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 keyboard that's that's below didn't yakima make a little card that you could put (laughs) on your rear view mirror that said bikes on the top stupid that is far too low tech for me (laughs) call me a luddite what can i tell you yeah does it ring your phone though yeah (laughs) okay richard what's your tip if you have one if i have a tip oh Mm. my as my daughter will tell you i'm all full of tips None of what she listens to. Um, that's the beauty of being a 17-year-old. Um, tip one is, uh, I think we already hit it. Make sure mm. you know what you're doing when you're yep. doing the mechanics on your good bike. Point. Yep. And uh, be careful. I mean, there are a lot of good mechanics out there. And make sure you shop for your mechanic the same way you would shop for a uh, – um, and here comes my 17-year-old daughter to give me a hug and a kiss. Oh. <laughs> I want to know what you did wrong. <laughs> and, and, and since you brought that up, and we've talked about this before, when you know when you're looking for your local mechanic, either either that person is going to be at your favorite bike shop, and and you should you should you should go there because uh, they have great mechanics, and you should certainly buy products from them as well to keep them in business. Because you heard Richard say what's what the state of, of cycling retail is, mm-hmm. but there are also uh, all across the country. Um, and perhaps across the world, these mobile bike mechanics now, um, who are quite, um, skilled, uh, and certainly you, you should send some dollars or some, some pounds or some euros or some Swiss francs their way as well. Or some shackles. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. How topical. Wow. Okay. And my did tip. You say, did you say shackles or shekels? <laughs> <laughs> and my tip, uh, and hopefully this is another uh, jaw on the on the keyboard one, is wherever you are in the world, whichever police department that maybe tweets and you can send this to, but send them to the West Midlands Police Department because uh, I'll put a, a, a bit in the show notes, the exact link on this, but the West Midlands Police, they've got a bunch of very, very bike-friendly police officers who get dressed in civilian clothes, go out, and then they see if drivers pass too closely to them when they're overtaking. And if they do, and they're riding their bikes when this is happening, if they do, they've got cameras on their bike, but they then radio ahead to their colleagues in uniforms who put the blue lights on, stop the motorist, tell them what they've done wrong. The cyclist then, the police cyclist catches up, shows them on the video, you passed me too closely in your car there or your van or your your uh, your truck. Um, do you want to be fined or do you want to go on a driver re-education course? This has had, this program has been going for a year. I, I ran a story on it on Bike Biz last year. It got seven and a half thousand uh, Facebook likes, mm. this, this story, when it, when it came out. It went viral. Uh, so they had a full year of doing this program and they have had a jaw-dropping 20% reduction in KSIs, so killed and seriously injured, of cyclists in this specific region. It is going all over the UK. Many, many uh, UK police forces are now copying the West Midlands and doing this. When I put this on on Twitter or when anybody sees this on, on Twitter in the UK, you find people sending it to their local police force and saying, can we do this, please? So my tip would just be send this on to your police force and see if you can get uh, the exact same thing, because this can genuinely create safer roads in your area for you as a cyclist and for other cyclists out there. And it no doubt has an absolute uh, uh, benefit for horse riders, uh, for any other vulnerable road user, because it's making motorists think, no, you cannot overtake them with one inch to spare. You've got to give vulnerable road users a lot more space. I love that. Show notes? It'll be in the show notes. Uh, you can, it's, if you want to follow the Twitter account, it's at traffic WMP. Let me just check that. Is that WP? I'll check that while I'm, while I'm going on. Um, but they are, let me just type this out because they are, it's an account that's well worth following because these guys, it's run by these police guys who are so pro cycling. It's, (laughs) it's unbelievable. I mean, they, they will take, um, criticism from from motorists about this and completely deflect it and it, yeah it's traffic wmp i was right so that that is a that's another tip then so follow traffic wmp uh, on twitter even though there are west midlands uh, uk police force very well worth following wherever you are in the world okay so that has been uh, episode 169 of the spokesman cycling roundtable podcast and we have had the wit and wisdom of Richard Wittenberg, and we have had the brains and the beauty of David Bernstein. I was struggling there for an alliteration there, David. <laughs> so you've got brains and beauty. How about that? 
Um, uh, and thank you ever so much for subscribing to the show. Thanks for telling your friends about the show. And the, as you've, you've heard us talk about, there are uh, show notes where you can find out all the things I've been talking about in this show. And that is at the dash or hyphen, whichever way you want to say that, spokesman.com. And we will be back in a couple of weeks' time. In the meantime, do get out there and ride. I know nothing about most of this stuff, so I'm just, you know, I'm just just here for comic relief. Does that mean you're a dope? <laughs> and I'm the Shabbos Goy, so, you know. What can yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. Right. <laughs>